Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. On today's 67th episode, I get to welcome a guy who's become a good friend. He writes gritty crime fiction from both sides of the badge. Who am I talking about? Frank Zafiro and his book, The Ride Along, along with Colin Conway. This book was a page turner and an eye-opener to boot. A great story that I think you're going to love hearing the behind the scenes of what it was like to actually be in that world. So without any further ado, he's waiting in the green room. Please welcome Frank Zafiro here on The Thriller Zone. Yeah, you're messing with <laughs> And uh, how's my mic? Actually, it sounds okay. What you, You've got your little fake background going. What's that all about? Uh, it's just what I've got set up for uh, for Zoom. I can take it off if you want. Yeah, take it off because it looks, uh, I get little bits and pieces of you. And you've uh, got I see a, what it's doing, yeah. Yeah, and you've got a pretty cool office uh, set up. Oh, yeah. Look at that. That's a very professorial background, dude. You look like... <laughs> On today's classroom presentation. More so since we've had to do that uh, in this world with, you know, my wife was teaching via Zoom for quite some time. Yeah. Dude, you look like you've been working out. Yeah, I got back into the gym. Those guns are loaded, so keep them, you know, aimed at the floor, okay? <laughs> Always pointed in a safe direction. That's right. <laughs> well, welcome to the Thriller Zone, Mr. Frank Zafiro. Well, pretty thrilled to be here, to be honest with you. Dude, I always look forward to talking to you. You're one of those guys that uh, just shows up, does it, and always has great insights and motivation. It's, it's always a treat. Well, it is for me, too. And uh, I uh, was glad I was able to return the favor. I thought you had a good episode on my podcast as well. Totally yeah. Good. Yeah, I had fun with you. It's it's always interesting to flip on that side of the camera and uh, get asked instead of doing all the asking. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get to this glorious little uh, book, The Ride Along, featuring Frank Zafiro and uh, Colin Conway, who is not on the show today, but we'll be talking about him. By the way, is this Zach? Did Zach do the front cover? Uh, yeah, this is a Zach McCain uh, cover. Yeah, yeah, Zach McCain. He's done a lot of your stuff, and I really dig his style. Yeah, between him and Eric Beatner, uh, that makes up the majority of my book covers, uh, design-wise. Oh, Eric does it too? I didn't know that. Huh. Well, he doesn't advertise it because he, you know, the guy's such a nice guy. He can't say no if somebody asks him for something. So he doesn't let people know he, he does book covers because then he'll get deluge, you know, get a deluge of cover requests. Um, I usually ask him quite a ways out because he's so busy, you know. Oh, shit. I'm going after him now. He does a good job. He does my River City series, um, does my Spokompton series. Uh, this was a, this was a fun read. Uh, we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, I, I think, I, yeah, I, I, I gulped it down in about two sittings. It was that kind of a read. Um, but I'm, I'm going to save on that. I do want to, I'd love to get out of shoot out of the gate with, um, 
Now, you appeared on my other uh, podcast, which was Naked Monday. And there's no sense, as we both know, having two podcasts about the writing world. So I, I put that one on hold until I rehab it. But for those who don't know you, without me sitting down, going through a whole thing about military and cop and so forth, give, give my listeners a great, nice little encapsulation of your background, Frank. Uh, so guy who's always thought of himself as a writer, even as a kid, uh, went into the army when I was 18, did five years, military intelligence. I was a Czech linguist was there when the wall came down and the velvet revolution in Czechoslovakia it was a pretty fine time for freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, got out of the, uh, military and, uh, after a couple of years went into law enforcement, I was a cop for 20 years in a day. Uh, during which time I did pretty much did or commanded the unit that did pretty much every job that a police department uh, the size of Spokane anyway does Um, and really started writing again in the fiction realm around 2004 about halfway through my career and at that point it was crime fiction that that spilled out and so I've been writing crime fiction since about 2004 and kind of write uh I say gritty crime fiction from both sides of the badge because uh, some of my series, for instance, the River City series are police procedurals told from the perspective of the police. Uh, others are on the other side of the badge, uh, like my Spokompton series or, or the one I wrote with Eric Beatner, the uh, Bricks and Cam jobs. Um, those are from the criminal side. And so I've written about 35, 36 books to this point wow. in about seven different series i think i'd have to go count the series uh pretty much i say if you like mysteries um i've got about every subgenre covered except for traditional like agatha christie or cozy but uh you know private detective police procedural hard-boiled noir you know any anything in those arenas i've i've uh i've written uh i retired in 2013 and and after teaching uh law enforcement leadership for about four years after that i hung up my powerpoint clicker and i've been writing full-time uh since then with really the only exception being that i I have a podcast and and that takes up some time as well yeah which we're going to get to in a second now i love it funny you you've hit a couple of my points i want to bring up and i love this phrase it's at the top of your website franksavero.com gritty crime fiction from both sides of the badge that is so uh that is such an elegant and uh, a quick byline of who you are, and it's a perfect, uh, perfect description of you. <clears throat> I mean, what Thank a you. what a heck of a background! And this is why I like your work so much, Frank. Is your background is the personification that gives it the authenticity that I need to go. Yeah, especially with this book, especially with this one. I, when I was reading this, I'm like, I truly felt like I was on the ride along. And yeah, you can describe I'm in the car and I'm answering this and I'm clicking this and I'm zipping into and that, but no, there is a, there's a quality to your writing that you, you, I really thought I was like in the back seat, which we're going to get to in a second, but so there. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. Do you, here's a quick question off the top, and this is just filtering through when I was starting my notes this morning around five o'clock. I was like, what, ask Frank, which was harder, being a cop or, or writing books? And they're both, you know, I know you have pleasure in both of them, so I want to make sure that we cover both of those. 
Um, I think being a cop was harder. Um, it's, it's, uh, being a writer, you control most of your own fate. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously traditional publishing that's outside your control, you know, once you reach that point, but up until the point where you send the story, you know, away, you have total control over, over everything. And, and you can do the things necessary to make sure that you're successful. And it's, only up to you whether you are or not really i mean are you going to put the time in to learn the craft or are you going to do the revisions or are you going to listen to the criticism or you know and all of that police work has so many external factors that weigh in on whether or not you're successful and even success is how do you define success i mean i can define success however i want as a writer you know you read my book you liked it i can decide that's success um, policing is a completely different matter because there's a, a you know, 300 million people who define whether it's successful or not. And so you're going to get varying opinions on that. And like I said, there's so many external factors that it was, it was a more difficult job. Um, there's so much more collaboration necessary to be successful at it. The skill set is so wide um, that you need to be good at all these different things, many of which are very different from the other. And you can't just be an inch deep in that skill set either. You have to have, have some proficiency. Uh, otherwise, there's a hole in your game and, and it'll eventually be exploited. Yeah. And so that I don't sound like an idiot with that question, because I realized as I asked it and then I as refiltering as you were talking. Yes, I, I, being a, a police officer, infinitely more dangerous. That's for sure. I guess what I was getting at is, <clears throat> you know, I've had the opportunity to talk to so many different authors as, as yourself, both from the self-published side of the world, as well as the traditional published side of the world. And, you know, for writers who are purely self-published, for instance, they go, oh my God, it's so hard. I had no idea that you had to do so much stuff between the writing and the editing and finding the book cover and the design and the blurb and the edits and the rewrites and so forth. Then on the traditional side, uh, when you find the people who finally said, okay, well, I, I got into traditional, I thought it was going to be uh, easier than it is, but I'm doing a lot of the same things. I guess that's what I'm getting at as a bit of a background. And the real question that comes out of that is, has this whole time, have you been self-published solely or do you, has part of that been traditionally published? I don't know if I've yeah, had a yeah, I, I don't know if you have or not. I've had a weird ride <laughs> to, to, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I started out with a bunch of short stories being published in a variety of different venues, some of them online magazines at a time when that was, people were trying to decide if that was legitimately published or not and, and, and you know, so forth. Um, and then I went through, I'll, I'll spare you the long version of the story, but uh, just with my River City series, um, I went through a, a publisher for the first book who declined on the second book for a really stupid reason. Uh, and it wasn't the quality of the book. Um, and then I found a publisher for the second book and, and they actually published it in hardcover and, and softcover, which was cool, but they went under, they overextended and, and couldn't support their, their uh, catalog. And so they went under and then I ended up with a third publisher right there in Spokane where I was living, which was great because I could go down to the publisher's office uh, and, and talk to the chief editor and, you know, it was a small operation and, and, and that worked great. But at, 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 so three publishers just to get the river city to book three, which was, which was hard. Uh, and this was all happening at the time when eBooks were going from that 
here's a CD-ROM to put into your computer to read a book to <laughs> the you know e-readers that we have now yeah. um, around 2010, 2011. And this third publisher, uh, Grey Dog Press, which was uh, owned by a guy who owned a, a printer shop, uh, Russ Davis, super cool guy, great guy. Um, but he wasn't interested in the ebooks at the time. He just wanted to do the print. And so I, so I published the ebooks myself because they weren't going to get published by my publisher. And, and so I became self-published in about 2010, 2011 to basically make the digital version available because the print version was the only version my publisher was, was interested in publishing. And from there, I went from, you know, uh, small press publisher here to self-publishing some other things myself to half my catalog was with down and out books for a while uh, until finally um, January of 2021 I I went full independent uh, bought my books back from the all the different places that they were and uh the only thing I, you know, have that is with a publisher now is my uh, series of Grifter Song, which you're familiar with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything else is independently published, and and so I, uh, it's kind of like I mentioned earlier about you know the control issue. Yeah. I mean, success or failure, it's all on me. I can't complain. Oh, my publisher's not doing any marketing. Uh, <laughs> no, I need to be doing marketing, or yeah. you know, I'm, I'm complaining to myself if not enough is happening, and rightfully yeah. so. Yeah, I'll send it up the flagpole to the folks in the big office. Honey, would you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you have had great success from, you know, our conversations off mic. You've you've done really well. And, you know, it's uh, uh, kudos to you. Secondly, it's an encouragement to us self-publishers who who say, you know, if, if you're up for it and you're game for the work, get out there and do it because you get the lion's share of the profits. Yeah, and I'll say three quick things to that. One is, it is a lot of work. And we can yep. have that conversation if you want. It's a lot of work. Uh, two is, um, I am doing better. Um, now, I wasn't doing very well before that. Um, but in the year, comparing the end of year 2021 to my 2020 year, I had a 750% increase in royalties. Now, don't be too impressed. I started really low. So, I mean, those percentages can be inflated pretty quickly when you're starting it at, at, at you know, smaller numbers. Sure. But even so, it's still a 750% increase. Um, that said, there are, there are people who uh, are just so killing it in the yeah. independent world that I, that are making a hundred times, a thousand times what I'm making. And I, I try to figure out what they're doing and emulate it. Uh, and, and, you know, adjust it so that it works for me. And I haven't cracked the code yet, but uh, so far this year, every month has been better than that month last year. So I'm moving in the right direction, just not as quickly. Yeah. Well, kudos. Yeah. There is so much uh, involved in this between your Facebook ads and your Amazon ads and your uh, book bub and however else you go about it and then finding just that right cover and then which you've pretty well mastered and just the right blurb on the book that makes you want to pick up that book it is it you know it really is a science people who can go oh no no there's a lot of luck involved there might be a little bit of luck involved but you really got to do your freaking homework and really put in the time to learn what does work and doesn't you agree 
Yeah, well, I feel there's a lot of luck involved, but none of that luck is going to do you any good because it's luck. Timing is luck, right? That's right. where that what I mean. You know, do you know somebody or do you you know get lucky with the timing of it? But if you don't have a good book already that has a good cover, that's a good story that you've you know put the time in and your craft is honed to a degree where your story and a bestseller from a New York publisher are on par with each other in terms of quality, then you can get all the best timing and great luck in the world. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not going to do any good. I mean, when opportunity knocks, if you open the door in a bathrobe unshaven, then probably, you know, it's going to turn and walk away. And so <laughs> that's, that's, that's where the, where you, you make luck work for you. Right. Right. Just open the door and keep on the robe. Don't open up the robe and keep the, anyway. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, 20 years and a day, as you said, <clears throat> long time to do anything, much less something as potentially uh, or more than potentially stressful as being an officer. Here's a question, another one of those questions that I just wanted to drill down on you. And I, I may have mentioned this in an earlier conversation, but I don't recall. How did you deal with that stress, especially as I was reading this book and it took me into the world of being a police officer? And then, of course, you just have to turn on the news these days and see how uh, the guys and gals in blue are seen. How, what's, how do you deal with that stress? Well, writing was part of of the stress relief for sure. It was probably the one of the two healthiest ways that I dealt with it. Um, there is something cathartic about writing about, you know, something that's stressful. Um, no matter how you go about it, whether you're you're writing wish fulfillment stuff or or just the bad feelings that you encounter, you're bleeding them off into a story or a book. It it's very cathartic. It's it's there's a lot of stress relief there. Um, and, uh, and I played hockey a lot too. Yeah. And so, so physical, you know, activity is pretty common amongst uh, people in stressful jobs like that. Um, and, you know, I've never been much of a, of a drinker, but there were times in my life where I was like short periods of time where, where I would be for whatever reason. And, and so that's huge. I mean, especially in law enforcement, sure. I mean, you'll never, you'll never, you know, I'm not saying there's not cops out there who have done drugs, but I'll tell you the 99% that I'm familiar with would never even think of, of doing drugs, but they'll drink like fishes, you know, cause yeah. it's legal and it, it's a huge stress reliever. And so those are probably in order, the three ways that I dealt with stress. Fair enough. And you know what, uh, you've seen what drugs will do. So you, you know, with the, with that front row seat at the ready every day, um, I, I would imagine you would say to yourself, you know, why would I possibly want to get involved in that? <clears throat> You think you'd do the same thing with drinking though too because i mean that was so prevalent um in in the job you know i mean especially if you work night shift uh yeah. you, you go on calls 70 80 percent of the time alcohol is involved uh, well some kind of drug is involved and, sure. and alcohol was the most most common because uh it was because it was legal because you know sure. normal law-abiding people would drink and sure. and then things would happen and we'd encounter them and so uh you, you know you think it put you off but uh ultimately it, it didn't uh, yeah a lot, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of glasses got hoisted in, in those 20 years all right so let's break this down you you just mentioned seven uh different series i've got five river city spokompton series Stefan Copriva, Stefan Copriva, 
Charlie 316, along with Colin Conway, as we mentioned. The Bricks and Cam Jobs with Eric Beatner. So where are the other two? Uh, the Jack McRae mystery series, which uh, it just has the one uh, out now, although the second one, uh, the first book is at this point in my life, and it came out in 2012 or 13. Uh, but next month in June, uh, the second book will finally come out. All that this life requires uh, is the second Jack McRae uh, coming out. Um, so that's another one. Uh, there's the Sandy Bakes thriller series, which again, only stands at one at the moment, but there'll be, uh, two more, one this year and one next year. That'll make that a trilogy. Um, and then I've got a novella, the series, uh, Stanley Melvin PI stories. The first one of that was published last year by, uh, by PI, uh, tales as part of a double feature with Michael Bracken, who's, uh, uh, his his was actually nominated for a Derringer Award, his half. Um, and that I'll, I'll publish that as a single in uh, in August. And then I've got a couple more Stanley Melvins uh, that'll take Jeez. place. Those are novellas, not not novels, but yeah. Uh, uh, so, but dude, you're still putting in the time. I don't care. You know, a novella can be what, 10, 20, 30, 40 thousand words but still you have to you still got to do the work you got to come up with a concept that hasn't been beat to death you got to write it you got to edit it you draft it you know tweak it polish it book it cover it so you know uh <clears throat> that is no lean feat hey this is frank zafiro author of the river city series and the right along of the new book in the charlie 316 series and i am hanging out here with david temple on the thriller zone and now back to the show so what's the process uh having not read all of them frank so please excuse me that i haven't read your entire library yet i'm, I'm gonna work <laughs> on that <laughs> how are they different uh, are they and they're all some form of police procedural and or legal inclusion, correct? Yeah, yeah. I actually uh, put a sidebar on my uh, website recently um, that says like uh, what what books are for you or something like that. And you've got uh, River City and the Charlie 316 series. These are police procedurals. Mm -hmm. That's multiple uh, third person, an ensemble cast. And it's about, you know, the process by which police deal with whatever the issue is in the book. Um, although in the River City series, I would say that uh, uh, Katie McLeod has become, uh, for about five of the eight books, um, or six of the eight books, she's been the core character of the series. But it's an ensemble cast. Um, the Stephen Copriva series and the Jack McRae series, those are both private investigator type of books. Uh, the bricks and cam jobs is, you know, they're assassins, they're hitmen. And uh, so it's kind of action and dark comedy. Um, Sandy Banks is, is uh, action oriented. Uh, what am I, what am I leaving out here? The Anya no, series. No, you got them all. With, uh, yeah. The Anya series with uh, Jim Wilski, that's uh hard boiled. Hard boiled noir. noir. Yeah. Yeah. The Spoke okay. Compton series is hard boiled. Uh, so, you know, like I kind of said before, you know, wherever you want to land in any of those major sub genres, I've got something for you there. And if you like cozies, I have, I can point to a couple of places. 
That's so funny. That, that That's the thing that probably impresses me the most about you. If it has to do with crime, all you got to do, and you want a particular flavor, Frank's got you covered. Um, so let's talk about, for instance, uh, Colin Conway writes with you on the ride-along. Do you like writing with a partner, and do you find it easier or harder? Uh, total cop-out, but the, the answer is different. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't give you a third option, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's easier in some ways and it's harder in some ways. It's harder in the sense that there's compromise involved and you, you have to set your ego aside and you have to try to be objective about your own uh, contributions and always put the good of the book first. And I've been fortunate that that everyone I've collaborated with has been able to do that. And I've been able to do that with them. Um, I think it's a landmine uh, field that you have to trip through to get there. And and I don't think everybody's going to make it through unscathed, but I've been fortunate. And especially with Colin, who is really the only uh, co-author that I'm currently working with, Um, you know, we have developed a sort of shorthand where, we can be very brutal in our assessment of things without hurting each other's feelings because we know where the other's coming from. It's not about I'm smarter than you or my idea is better than yours or or how dare you kill my darling. Um, you know, it's about what's best for this book. What are we trying to accomplish? And as long as you start from an understanding, the same understanding of what that is, uh, you're going to be fine. Um so that makes it harder, but it also makes it better. I mean, some of my best writing is in that Charlie 316 series because everything I've written has not only had to pass muster with Colin in terms of him liking it and not calling it out, but agreeing to let it stand. Whereas if I send him one of my books and say, hey, can you give this a read and give me feedback? He can say, you know, I think this, you know, character is being whiny here or something. And I can be like, well, your mom's whiny and I can keep it, you know, and you know, that's, you know, I had, and and maybe he was right. And that character was whiny. And now my book isn't as good as it would have otherwise been in the Charlie 316 series. If he says this character is being whiny, I have to go, okay, is this character being whining because whiny because, or whatever the criticism is, because he's going to have to sign off on, on the final copy, just like I, and, and the reverse is also true. And so we push each other, I think, to uh, a, a, a really good place in terms of quality, and um, and we and we have some authority over each other that extends further than it does when we just edit for each other uh, with, with our solo work. Um, and so that you know that I, I like that. The other thing that's really cool about it, David, and, and like I know you'll identify with this when you interact with another creative whether you're just having coffee or you know talking on the plane or or something like like this podcast today sure it's energizing like you get done you get done with something like that and you want to go write a hundred thousand words you know in 10 minutes and and you're just pumped well when you're writing a book with someone in the process that in the way that we do it it's it's that way every day or two It, it just keeps it up and so like, I mean, I tell people when we wrote the Charlie 316, uh, the first book in the series, Charlie 316, uh, we wrote a 90 some thousand word book, the first draft in three weeks. Wow. And, and it was pretty solid. I mean, we did edits and everything, but it wasn't sure. filler. It was pretty solid. And, and that was because of that energy. 
and and the other thing that's really good about a, 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 having a collaborator is you know i send you something you send it back to me as soon as i get it like i i, I don't want to let it sit i don't want to you know i want to jump in and get at it and and get it done because you're waiting for me and when i do my part i want to do the very best job i can do first time through because you're counting on me and so there's that additional accountability during the process too so there's a lot of positives to it well i've talked to uh well, the very first one that pops in my head is uh, Andrews Wilson, and they they say very similar things to what you're saying, especially when you have a similar background and a similar work ethic, and you guys are friends already. It really does make the process a little bit more seamless. So I, I totally get that. Before I pop off onto uh, the ride along, I do want to ask this one question because with with this prolific output, I I. You know, anyone who knows goes. Anyone who knows what it takes to make a podcast, to make a good one, will know how much time it takes. And I'm like, how do you, with all these books, still find time to do the podcast, which is wrong place, right crime? Um, I mean, that that that's a handful, brother. <laughs> well, I don't do video, and that's that saves me some time. That does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know uh you you know you've been in radio you're you know a lot you, you had a career in radio and and so you know when you do audiobooks and so you know that with with editing uh in in that sense you get you you get good at it after a while like you can go bam 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 about yeah. a lot of things as long as you don't run into somebody who's got a strange cadence or has a lot of annoying, you know, lip smacking or something like that, that you want to cut out. Yeah. Um, you can, you can buzz through pretty quick. The other thing I did, uh, David was, um, you know, I started with an hour long show every month and I wanted to increase the number of episodes, but I know I couldn't do an hour a week. And so I started doing like 20, 15 to 20, Actually, initially I was going to do like eight to 12, but I can never shut up long enough for it to be that. <laughs> so maybe 15 to 20 minute open and shut episodes so that I could get more people on the show because the sure. whole purpose was to promote authors just like you're doing. Right. And that uh, meant I was editing a lot more. And so my editing uh, skills improved. And so that helped as well. Um, I tried to get ahead as far as possible. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm four episodes ahead right now. I'm a month ahead, which is nice. Well, kudos to you. I'm I'm generally if I record on a Monday, like we'll hang up in about a half hour ish, and then I'll uh, take a little break, and then I'll start cutting. And because to your earlier point, because I cut both audio and video, my day is about eight to ten hours. I want my audio to be the best it can be, but I want the video for the people for the four people that'll sit and watch the episode. <laughs> Maybe my episode, but you're getting some good, 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 good views. Yeah, I, I think. Thank you for that. I do think there are more people coming to the video world. Uh, and, and because I not to make it about me, but I want to explain this because you made the comment about not doing video. It, it, a, it takes a lot of time. B, by the time you make sure it fits well and it looks well and you've got the lower thirds and i i always like to throw in silly little graphics that make for the people who are watching to go oh my god that's hilarious la 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 <laughs> but uh i was just reading an art yet another article this weekend frank that says that youtube we're using youtube as the all-inclusive video realm is going to infinitely surpass 
podcast as we know it from the standpoint of audio only. Now, I think really? the be- I think the beauty of a podcast is the fact that you can multitask as we all do. You're you're mowing the lawn or you're walking your dog or you're taking a walk mm-hmm. or you're working out and you're listening to the show. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the video, you you kind of got to watch it. So right. I think that remains to be seen, but I thought I'd throw that at you. Also, a little little tip in case you don't know it. I don't mean to be pointing at you, but I kind of do this with a camera all the time. <laughs> there is a software, piece of software. I am not, I'm endorsing this, but I don't get paid for this. And I use it sporadically called Descript. Are you familiar with it? It's an in-the-cloud editing system. So we could record the show, export it, upload it to the cloud, and with a couple of clicks of the buttons make all the um and well make all that stuff disappear like that automated in the blink of an eye it's insanity oh, yeah that is insane now there's a little bit of finessing you got to do to make it sound a hundred percent believable uh it, it works best for audio Video, it's a little bit different because I won't bore you with the details, but look into it. I think it's a huge time saver for people who are just doing audio only. Yes. Now let's get to the ride along. First of all, in case I didn't say this yet, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, good. And here's why. I dug the two POV. I, I, you know, so chapter one, we're talking about um, Lee and Mel and Lee is the officer and Mel is the ride along. And so you get it, you get to see the world through his eyes. And then the next chapter, you get to see the world through her eyes. So at at first, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought it was going to be monotonous. I'm like, Jesus, I I know, I get the idea that it's through his eyes. And then she is kind of mirroring it. However, just about the time that I was going, oh, is this going to be monotonous? You switched it up to not include as much he said, she said, which was brilliant because you get his point of view, her point of view. And then you kind of collapse the two while still retaining two voices. And I thought that was pretty darn brilliant. Well, I will, I will tell you that was Colin. Um, in the first draft of this book, I had, because um, we did this book a little differently. This was originally not a, a Charlie 316 book. It was going to be a standalone or, uh, that I was writing. And, um, and if you're interested in how it became a 316, I'll happily tell that story. But ultimately it did. And um, uh, normally we would write the draft together. We'd outline and then we'd write the draft together. But in this case, I'd already written half the book when we decided it would be in the Charlie 316 universe. So I wrote the whole first draft and then we started the editing process from there. And I had more of the A, B, A, B uh, sort of, uh, it went longer. Yeah, it went, it, went, it went like a couple of chapters longer because I really wanted to drive home the point of here's subjectively what one person saw. Here's the exact same situation subjectively seen radically different. And Colin was like, psh, 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 you know, too much. It's boring. Cut this out. Do this, do that. And, and I, I was like, you know what? You're right. All I got to do is establish that they're seeing the same things differently. And then instead of being A, B, I can kind of be like A and 5% of A and then we're yep. on to B and then five, maybe not, maybe none of it. And we're on to B and uh, back onto A rather. And, and is, you know, once the reader understands that perception yeah. difference, it doesn't need to continue. So I'm glad that worked for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Kudos to Colin. And I wish you were here. We could talk about that because, uh, and again, you know, I'm not trying to offend you, but I was like, oh, Jesus, this thing is going to be like this all the way through it. And and, and that would have been a little monotonous. But again, you set it up because here's what you're doing. And this is what I loved. You're teaching the viewer reader to follow the pattern so you're setting the pattern and and it takes just a little bit of time and then you're like then the reader will go okay i get what you're doing and about that time anyway kudos to you uh and i don't want to give too much away but the book is clearly i mean the ride along a woman is going along as a ride along on you know on a on a with this police officer um would you can you, though, share the underlying specificity that takes it from just a ride along to something more? And you don't have to get super elaborate because I don't want to I don't want to spoil it. But you can I guess the best way, Frank, to say it is uh, like I, I would like to do a ride along. If you were a police officer, I'd, I'd call you, Frank, can I go on a ride along? Because I want to see the world through your eyes. I'm going to make notes so that my story will bear authenticity. However, she has a different motive. And can you share that? Yeah, I mean, uh, officers get right alongs all the time throughout their career. I mean, it kind of ebbs and flows how available they are based on a number of factors. But it's a great way to reach out to the community and let people get a better understanding of what's happening within the police department. It, it's um you can't do a large number of people at a time. That's that's the drawback to it, obviously. Um, whereas like a citizen's academy, you can do 30, 40 people at a time, 25 people, whatever. You can only do a right along one at a time, right? Um, but uh, the, the officer is Lee Salter. He is a third generation cop. He bleeds blue. Good guy, good cop, but he has his own perspective. The writer is a teacher uh, and police reform at, uh, activist named Melody Weaver. And uh, she's part of the uh, group called the Police Reform Initiative. It's a community-based group. Uh, all this takes place in Spokane in the Charlie 316 universe. Um, and she is coming on the ride along because um, a, a council member who is critical of the police had the slot and he didn't want to use it. So he passed it on to the, to the uh, activist group. And they said, hey, you're a white woman they're probably not going to put up such big walls if you ride with them. So you go ride and find out what you can find out and, and, and come back and tell us what you see. And and that's kind of why she's there. So yeah. she has a very uh, a definitive viewpoint, just like Lee does. Uh, and they're, and they're both pretty strong in their views and this causes sparks to fly, not the romantic kind yeah. uh, very quickly. Yeah. The uh, outset uh it was without uh, giving anything away. It was antagonistic to say the least. And then there's a little hint about halfway through that is revealed. Maybe, maybe it's not a hint. It's a, it's a piece of fact. And then he, Lee is a little bit, well, why didn't you tell me that? But I'm, I'm going to save that because the reveal is really appreciated when it happens. Next here, here's another thing I loved, and, and perhaps it's on a more visceral level of just how black and white so much of your job is, no pun intended, or pun intended, I suppose, but moreover, it's it's the gray in between that I think that people realize uh, or, or don't realize that there's, you know, it's just the way that you, as you took me behind the scenes, 
here's, let me break it down this way. I gained a new appreciation and a new respect for officers that I hadn't really, I'm honest. I mean, at 60, almost years old, <clears throat> I did not know that the world was quite, your, your life's on the line at any given moment. You have to make decisions in the blink of an eye. And I was, I think I take that somehow for granted. Yeah. The purpose of this, you know, really was, was really that people, well, how this came about it was originally as a short story idea. And, I, and then I quickly realized this is too big for a short story if I want to do it justice. Yeah. And it came about because I had two competing sets of frustrations. Uh, on the one hand, I was frustrated with a public um, and, and the wide spectrum of the public who really don't understand policing. They don't understand what the job actually entails. They don't understand the nuances of it. They don't understand the way the law works. They don't understand why cops do things a certain way. Um, they don't understand the realities of what they can and can't do both legally and physically yeah. um, and, and so on and so forth. And then from that position of ignorance, essentially lack of understanding, they make these judgments that are often very negative and it, it's very frustrating. It was when I was on the job and it has remained frustrating since I've retired. But since I've retired, I don't have the work of policing right there in front of my nose. So I'm not dealing with that in a way that causes me to be a little myopic. Um, I also mentioned that I taught for four years after I retired. Well, I did that for uh, a national nonprofit and, and I taught all over the US and Canada. And so I encountered all these other departments and I got a really good picture of policing as a profession in North America. And then as time passed, having distance from that profession, I, I gained a little bit of insight from more of a civilian view. Like I saw where we weren't doing ourselves any favors. I saw where, where things I took for granted as a police officer, how they came off wrong to the public. I saw where we should have explained this better. I saw tactical and strategic mistakes, in my opinion, in, in terms of at the individual level occasionally and, and at the profession level, things that I wish we had done differently uh, you know, overall. And, and so I was frustrated with my own profession for our own sort of blue blindness and, and our own uh, not not you know being just as ignorant if you will just as uninformed or or as uh lacking as much understanding about the public's position as the public did about policing yeah. and so i was like i could i wasn't on either side i was mad at everybody it's like when your brother your two brothers are fighting and you want to smack them both and 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 nobody and the biggest thing david was nobody would listen to each other anyway yeah. like everybody was just shouting their their slogans you know if they were being really nice they waited until you were done talking to start making their points but nobody was listening yeah. and listening is the beginning of understanding and understanding is the beginning of solving an issue and so i created a book <laughs> initially a story but then the right along where two people are in a patrol car for 10 hours uh on a graveyard shift they don't really have any choice but to eventually listen to each other. Yeah. And so it was a little wish fulfillment in that regard, I suppose. Well, let me tell you why I, one more reason I like it before we move on. And one of the thing, and I want to make sure that is, this is received as the compliment in which I'm sending it to you. 
Do you remember those training videos back when we were in school that would teach you how to do the right thing and how to how to make sure you understand how to treat your neighbor, right? Those kind mm -hmm. of videos. Yeah. That's one thing about this. This could be a great training video, and I'm, I don't want to diminish it as a great standalone uh, or in a series novel, but boy, if you wanted a great example and say you could boil this book down into a one-hour episode training video or 44 minutes to borrow television, this would be the perfect example of it. Matter of fact, I wish I had the money and the wherewithal to be able to go, I'm going to option this thing to do, to turn it into that very thing. That's how much uh, I thought it was powerful. Well, I appreciate that. And I know Colin would too. We wanted to focus on the nuance of this situation, um, both in the big sense and then the nuances of every little thing that occurred throughout the night, because we're not a country these days that appreciates nuance. We're, we're very polarized and we and we don't want to take the time to learn or to listen or to try to understand. We just want to flash to whichever side of the side of the argument we're in and go, uh, you know, this is what I think and you're wrong. And and one of my friends, another cop, actually, uh, my best friend, um, who who actually who's one of the calls they go on is uh, based on a call he went on in his career. Um, he, he adds to that by saying, not only do we have these polarized views that we then flash to, but then if you have a different view, then now I must hate you. Like we could be best friends, but if you decide you're Democrat and I'm Republican or I'm Republican, you're Democrat, whatever the difference is now, now I have to hate you. And it's like, I think we've gotten past a time where people could say, we have different ideas about things, but we can still barbecue and we yeah. can talk about, yeah. about, about a ton of things that where we can celebrate our similarities a little more, um, but that isn't happening. And, and so in this book, we explore the nuances um, and that's a lot of the point is for people to be exposed to nuances. And my hope is that as you read that book, there were things where you went, yes, I'm glad that person said that. I completely agree with that. And there were other times where you're like, oh, man, that is so dumb. I completely agree. You're stupid. And then hopefully there were also times where you said, huh, I uh, either I did not know that. I don't know if it's true. I'll have to check into it. Or I never really looked at it that way. I'm going to have to think about that. Frank, and if, 100%. If, if 100%. You hit all, good. That was the, those are nuances. And we need to explore nuances more. 100% and 100%. I did all of those things and more. And I'm not just, you know, I don't BS you. Um, now, it does end a certain way, which I will not give away. But then you, into your afterward and acknowledgments, explain a few things that help the reader understand why you chose that ending. And I'm going to say, this ride along was a hell of a ride. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> All right, before we get to rapid fire questions, because I'm coming up on my time that's due with you, and uh, I do have this one piece of advice uh, that I like to ask all my authors, especially ones as prolific as yourself. If you had to offer one piece of advice, it can be very short and simple because it'll probably end up being a soundbite. What's the one best piece of advice you would have for aspiring writers? Uh, don't let your ego get in the way of accepting a good edit but don't be afraid to remember the fact that it's your story and you have to make the final call. Solid advice. 
Bam! You know what that sounder means. You've heard the show before. It is time for rapid fire questions. Okay. Frank. Do I have to hit a buzzer? (laughs) (laughs) You and a few pals are at your favorite hockey rink. You're going to like this. You're watching a game when one of their players have been tossed out of the game with only a few short minutes left in the tied game. They turn to you, Frank, because everyone knows you and ask if you'd like to take his place. Oh, what would the position be you would be replacing? And what will be the very first thing you'll do when you suit up and hit the ice? Oh, well, I played a lot of goalie and, and I played forward when I skated out. And uh, so if it wasn't the goalie that got taken out, then I'd go in at left wing uh, because I, I'm a right-hand shot. I like to be on the off wing for that uh, pass cross. And uh, the first thing I'd do would be to hope like hell I didn't fall down. (laughs) (laughs) Bam. All right. You did not disappoint. All right. Similarly, you and your wife are at a concert of your favorite band. In fact, they let you guys hang out and watch from the wings or in the front row, whichever one you want, when suddenly their lead guitarist loses all the feelings in his hands. He turns to you and hands you the guitar and says, you know all the songs, Frank. You have to take my place. Would you rather grab the guitar and say, hell yeah, or would you rather freeze and pass on the opportunity? (laughs) Well, I am not a professional grade uh, guitarist. So the smart thing to do would be to pass on the opportunity. But my favorite is uh, a musician since I'm 10 years old is Bruce Springsteen. So uh, no way I'm not going on stage, but, uh, uh, whether that was Steven Van Zandt or Nils Lofgren, whichever one of them hands me the guitar, I'm telling the other one, your lead, I'm going to try to keep up on rhythm. So excellent. <laughs> and I would know a few of the songs though. So that part's good. All right. Good, good, good. Number three, Hollywood has just bought the rights to the ride along and they want to turn it into a three episode series. Now you've been asked to help produce it by suggesting two actors one to play Lee Salter, the lead, and the other to play Melody Weaver, his ride-along. Question part A, who would play them? And by the way, I say this because you're a natural ham, Frank, let's admit it. You get to play one small cameo role. So who would play your two leads and who would you play? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think the female lead, I would, I think I'd go with Rachel McAdams. Oh, I, nice. I, I really liked her in True Detective season two, very underrated series, season of TV. And uh, she had something in that in that uh, season that I think she could bring to the table. Um, for the for Lee, boy, I am uh, maybe T- Timothy Oliphant. That might work. Nice. Yeah, Good pull. If he, he Raylan Givens up a little bit without the accent, you know, Um <laughs> Maybe if I, if you wanted to go gruffer, you could get somebody like, uh, uh, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the guy's name. He played Sam's dad on uh, on on uh, Atypical, uh, Michael Rappaport. Okay, um, you know he might. Yeah. if he could drop the accent slightly, he could do it. He could do an interesting job of it. Who would I want to play? Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of a role in there that that happens. Uh, uh, 
well there's a short scene on the stairs as lee's going out to the car uh-huh. uh and, a sh- and, and with another cop who tells him that he's got a problem waiting for him yeah and then in the in the first chapter with mel you see them interact it's a short enough scene i might be able to pull it off you could that would be perfect for you yeah excellent <laughs> dude you'll be on your way to your sag card right there all right <laughs> All right, fourth and final, you and your wife, Christy, are joining me and Tammy here in San Diego for a celebratory dinner, our treat, because your show just got greenlit, as we just learned. So you get to choose two extra people. I've used this before, but you'll like it. Two extra people to round out the evening, making it six of us at this grand celebration. Who You get to invite two people so they can be living her past. It's the magic of this show. Who would they be and why? I mentioned them earlier, but I think I'd ask the boss to join us. Okay. Um, Ask, ask him some deep cut questions, embarrass him a little bit with some bootleg knowledge, maybe. Nice. Um, and uh, you know who I think would be pretty fun, too, uh, would be Stephen King. Um, oh, yeah. Because he's, he's just got a cool sense of humor. And uh, and either one of those guys, you know, I, I would have a ton of questions. And, and I think the four of us could sit back while they carried the heavy lifting of the conversation uh, with some stories to tell for sure. Perfect answer. Folks, if you'd like to learn more about Frank, go to Frank Zaviro, Z-A-F-I-R-O.com or follow him on Twitter as I do at Frank underscore Zafiro, or you can check him out on Instagram at Frank Zafiro 370. Frank, this has been as always a super treat. Yeah, I really appreciate it, man. I, I, I enjoy hanging out with you, David. Yeah. And I'll tell you, this was a great book. Folks, if you want to read uh, something that you really do feel like you are riding along in the back seat, it's the ride along with Frank Zafiro and Colin Conway, part of the Charlie 316 novel. I wish you great success in both this book and all your others. I can't keep track of them all and the podcast, which of course, and I love sharing podcast love. A Wrong Place, Right Crime, a very clever title. My wife, I meant to tell you this, she particularly loved the title of your podcast. And you're at up oh, around cool. episode, what, 160 now? Yeah, 160, one of which has you. So if people want to hear about David Temple, the filmmaker and author, and a little bit about your radio career, uh, we had a great conversation. Yeah, it was a great bit of fun. Also, um, and I used this as one of the promos. I don't know if you noticed this over the weekend, but I, I pulled pulled up a little piece of uh, uh, the bastard mummy uh, that's mm-hmm. up on your SoundCloud. I, I just I listened to it again this morning early, and I that was, that for whatever reason that was one of my favorite audio book books to do, and it was a small one, but I really thoroughly enjoyed it breaking out those different characters and that was your talent was was you know that you're able to give characters such a unique voice um i think my favorite uh because you did the concrete smile the first grifter song for me and you did a fantastic job and of course the bastard mummy which is a river city story but uh i had a a a book uh novella in the guns and taco series called uh a euro and a glock and um you just did a stellar job there's a there's a just a big old moose sized cop in there who's a real jerk and the first time i listened to you give him a voice i'm like holy cow that is exactly what he sounds like in my head that guy is exactly what he sounds like and And if you'd like to hear a sample go to bit.ly slash zafiro dash audio bit.ly slash z-a-f-i-r-o dash 
A-U-D-I-O. And so it just really brings, you know, that to life. I mean, you, you, you said greenlit, the, you know, that your show and all that, uh, you know, pipe dream, that would be great, uh, but it may never happen. So audiobooks is the closest I'm ever going to get to hearing my work performed, <laughs> quite possibly. And, and so it's a joy to listen to narrators like yourself, really, you know, you're not just reading the book, you are performing it. And um, I always give it a listen when I get it back, because I enjoy that performance. Uh, so, uh, you know, people out there are looking for a narrator. You got one sitting behind the mic right there. Well, Frank, you are so, so kind. Uh, I thank, I thank you for the opportunity. I love doing it. It's, you know, between that and this podcast and writing, it just, it's fulfill. it's ticking all the boxes of what really makes me tick. And, uh, it's guys like you that help make the journey a fun one. So we are right at an hour. Thank you once again, Frank, uh, franksafiro.com. Check him out, read his books. You'll enjoy it, buddy. Uh, I look forward to seeing you again real soon. You bet. Always have good fun with Frank Zafiro. The book, once again, The Ride Along, co-authored with Colin Conway. Great book. Thanks, Frank. Wish you great big luck. Now, before I get to next week's guest, I want to say thank you to two of my sponsors. Number one, AuthorBytes.com, who's giving you three months free with a one-year contract, and my good friends at Writer's Block Coffee, who supports me with delicious coffee. <laughs> and you with a 15% discount on your first order. So thank you. Also, quick housekeeping. Love your reviews. Thank you so much for stopping by Apple Podcasts and leaving your five-star reviews. We'll be featuring them on the show and on our website shortly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As you can imagine, it takes people like you saying good things about people like me so that we can get more eyeballs and ears to our show. So thank you. You can always drop us an email at thethrillerzone at gmail.com with any of your thoughts, concerns, questions, etc. Now, on to next week's show. This is an award-winning author. Mark Edward Langley in the book is When Silent Screams. takes place in New Mexico, and it's a page-turner. So please make plans to join me next week for Mark Edward Langley. Also, quick reminder, if you're still sitting on the fence thinking, hey, would Thriller Fest be a good idea for me? There are still seats available, as they say. And if you want to head on out to New York City, where I'll be, along with the Thriller Zone, at Thriller Fest in Midtown Manhattan, Times Square to be exact, say hello to my good friend KJ Howe and sign up today. Folks, make it a great week. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next week for another episode of The Thriller Zone. There is nothing like the taste of fresh roast coffee. David Temple here for Writer's Block Coffee. And folks, this is my favorite. Deadline Dark is the one I've been drinking more of. As you can see, it's almost gone. This one is their uh, standard blend. And whiskey barrel aged. Packs a little punch. No, there's no alcohol involved. I personally like whole bean. You know why? It's the freshest and I grind it right then so I'm drinking the very best brew I possibly can. If you'd like to enjoy fresh roast direct to order coffee, go with Writer's Block Coffee. By the way, your first order, 
15% off your first order. Just use the code, the thriller zone. How can you go wrong? If you watch the show or listen to the show, you know, I'm always sipping on coffee. And this is, as they say, the real deal. Writer's Block Coffee. First order, 15% off. Try today. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.